my sin Cause my sin was deep Your grace was deeper And my shame was wide But your arms were wider And my guilt was great Your love was greater Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand.
brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of the skull. And they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above, the king of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled which says, and he was numbered with his transgressors. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani, which translates, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and he breathed his last. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God.
Father, this evening we are gathered here to honor what Jesus did for us on the cross. Father, at this time our, our hearts have been stirred, caused to stop, come face to face with our sin, but also with our Savior who paid the price to bring us into relationship with you. So Father, on this evening, these next few minutes, I just pray that you would continue to help us reflect on how much you loved us. And how much you did, how much you gave, how much you sacrificed to bring us into your family. Father, we won't take it for granted, but we will honor you. Then this weekend, we will celebrate the new life we have in Christ Jesus. Thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You can be seated this evening. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for joining us this evening on our, actually our very first in-person Good Friday service. So you're, you're part of something special. And I kind of get the feeling this won't be the last one of these we'll be doing. You know, on Sunday morning, the atmosphere of our building will be very, very different. It'll be bright and colorful as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But this evening on Good Friday, our atmosphere is much more subdued, much more solemn. It's, it's intentional because we want to reflect upon the sacrificial death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes at this time of year, we get so caught up in the celebration and uh, everything that surrounds Easter time that we maybe neglect and fail to honor what really happened on Friday. I think sometimes we look beyond just how much Jesus really did give to pay for our sins. But you know, we, we cannot separate the cross from the empty tomb. They, they belong together. They tell one story. They're two different events a couple of days apart, but... They tell the same story. The empty tomb without the cross is meaningless. But the cross without the empty tomb is powerless. But when you put the two together, we have the ability to see life change by the power of God. And you know, I want to read a verse of Scripture, a passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 22. This is the night that Jesus was betrayed just before he went to the cross. It's what's known as the Last Supper. And in a few minutes, we're going to be taking communion together. As you walked in the building, there was a table set up for you to get the emblems of communion. So hopefully you got those. 
This is what Jesus said, Luke 22, verse 19. He took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. Notice those words. He took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Notice the word, it's shed for you. As I said, a few minutes we'll be partaking of the Lord's Supper, but first, we want to remember exactly how our communion with Christ was purchased. The Roman Empire used crucifixion to torture criminals and punish them with the ultimate sentence for their crimes, and that was an agonizing death. The torture of crucifixion was also used as a deterrent to crime and to rebellion. If you ever saw a crucifixion, you would never forget it. When I was just a teenage boy, I heard a preacher tell a story, an old preacher at the time, many years ago, gone to be with the Lord. He told a story of how when he was just a boy in the early 1900s, his father took him and his brother in the state of New Mexico to watch the last hanging that took place to execute a prisoner. He said, as a boy, it was so amazingly powerful. It was so strong. It made such an impression on me that I made the decision right then. I didn't ever want to end up on the end of a rope. But stop and think about this. If you ever saw a crucifixion up close, you would never, ever forget it. Crucifixion was reserved for the very worst of humanity, for thieves, scoundrels, rapists, rebels, murderers. And actually, Jesus was crucified between two criminals, men who were thieves. Jesus himself was accused of being a criminal. But I want to take just a couple of minutes, and I want to remind you this evening about how the crucifixion of Jesus went. First, he was found guilty in a mock trial, a mock trial of blaspheming God when actually he was God. He stood before Pilate, the governor, and Pilate said, I find no fault in him. And he washed his hands and said, his blood's not on me, it's on you, the people who want him. Yet Pilate sentenced him to death. Then they took him away and they laid him out upon a large stone and tied him down and then they stripped his clothes off of him and took what was called a cat of nine tails, a whip that had nine leather straps. And on each strap there were pieces of glass and metal and steel. And the great Roman soldier would wind up and slash the back of that man and he would rip it away. And when he ripped it away, it didn't just come off loosely. It pulled the skin and then the flesh and the muscle below it. Thirty-nine times that big Roman soldier put those stripes on Jesus. It's been said that oftentimes people who were crucified never got to the cross because they died right there at the whipping stone. But Jesus took 39 stripes upon his back for our healing. And then they took him away and they mocked him and they put a robe on him and they took a crown of thorns they had plaited together and these big 
thorns one and two inches long were pressed into his skull and the blood began to run down his face. His back was ripped open, his sides, even the front of him, from the beating he took. Blood was gushing everywhere. And then they said, carry your cross, king. He began to carry that cross until they compelled another to carry it to the top of the hill. And when he arrived at the top of the hill, they laid him out on that cross. And they put a nail through each wrist just below his hand, the separation of the bones. And they nailed his hands to that cross. And then they nailed his feet to the cross. And then they raised him up and dropped it in the ground. And there he was, suffering and dying like a common criminal between two thieves. And above his head, they put the plaque, the inscription of his crime, and simply said, king of the Jews but he hung him there for hours on that cross it was common in crucifixion that what would happen is there was a foot pedestal and those who were nailed to the cross would slowly see their life draining away but they would hang and couldn't breathe and then they would push up with their legs and take a breath and then they would drop again and hang by their arms They would do this over and over and over. And then late in the day, as it grew closer to dark, the soldiers would come and they would break the legs of those criminals so they could no longer raise themselves up to get air. And they would suffocate. After Jesus hung on that cross for five or six hours, he looked up to the Father and said, It's finished. I poured out all I have hung his head and he died the soldiers came to break the legs of the thieves and they did so but they came to Jesus and he was already dead they thrust a spear into his side just to make sure And the Bible tells us that blood and water gushed out together a lot of medical people have said that's a sign of a broken heart that's what Jesus did for us for you and for me. And in a few minutes, we're going to partake of communion together. And I hope everyone got your element when you came in the door. But we have these beautiful little nicely packaged elements. You peel off the top layer and there's a little piece of unleavened bread. And then you peel off the next layer and there's a little bit of juice that we'll partake of communion with. I hope you got your emblems. But I want you to notice something. We, we make communion as clean and as nice as possible for a lot of reasons. We make it convenient. Jesus with his disciples, the night he was betrayed, he didn't say, my body's going to be nibbled on. I'm going to have to go through a little bit of tough stuff for you. Jesus said, my body's going to be broken. My body broken for you. And then he said, he took the cup and said, this is my blood, blood of the New Testament. He said, it's going to be shed for you to wash away your sins and bring forgiveness and give you a brand new start with God. But the word he used in the original writings wasn't, there's going to be a little leakage of blood. There's going to be a little nip here and a little nip there and you're going to see a little, no, it actually means his blood would be poured forth would be shed and spilt for our sins. Why did Jesus take this? Why all the suffering? 
Isaiah 53, we read the scripture earlier. Several hundred years before Jesus even came into the world, born of the virgin, God gave Isaiah a peek at the cross and he had him record it so that we would know Jesus was fulfilling God's plan. And I would encourage you later tonight or tomorrow perhaps to read Isaiah 53 because it tells how agonizing the cross was. But I want you to notice three things from that chapter. Verses 5 and 6 that we read said, He was wounded. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, our fallen nature, our rebellion against God. He was bruised and took our punishment. He wasn't the criminal. I was. And you were. The chastisement, the price, the payment for our peace was put upon him. And by the stripes on his back, we're healed and made whole. And he goes on to say, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've gone our own way. We've turned from God, every single one of us. But the Lord put on him our iniquity. Paul said it this way in Romans 3 and Romans 6. He said, all of us have sinned. And the wages, the payment for our sins is death. But thank God for Jesus. Because on the cross, a great exchange took place. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, He that knew no sin, Jesus, he knew no sin, but yet he became sin for us. Hanging on that cross, God thrust our sins upon him so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. In simple English, what it says is, everything that was wrong with us was put on Jesus so that everything that was right with him could be poured into our lives. Colossians chapter 2 says that God nailed our sins to the cross of Jesus. Now think about this. He did this for all of us. Our sins, our transgressions, our sickness, our disease, our going astray from God, it was put on Jesus. If he did it for all of us, he also did it for each one of us. Don't leave yourself out of this call tonight. Jesus went to the cross for you. And the second thing we see in this chapter that amazes me is verse 10. It says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him and to put him to grief. See, I can't get my mind around that. God's sinless son lives a sinless life, and yet it pleased God to put him on a cross and put all of my punishment upon him. He wasn't the criminal. I was the criminal. But it was God's idea, number two, it was God's idea to put him on that cross. I mean, I, he took my punishment, number one. But number two, it was God's idea. Revelation chapter 13 tells us that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world so from the beginning it was in God's heart when they stray I'll pay the price to redeem them Romans 5 8 says that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners while we were at our worst Jesus came to die for us when I was in the bottom of the hole in the worst condition of my life Jesus would come there to save me and to rescue but then there's one third thought. In verse number one of that chapter, the first chapter, the first verse, it opens up this way. 
question is asked, who has believed our report? Who has believed? Who has believed our report? What God is saying is, I'm telling you the truth. This is what's going to happen. But who, who's going to believe it? The third thought is this. By faith, each one of us can embrace what Jesus did on the cross for ourselves. He didn't just die for you and 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 you. Jesus died for me. question is do you believe that because what Jesus did on the cross means nothing unless I accept it believe it and embrace it for myself it doesn't matter that he's the son of God was born of a virgin none of that matters it doesn't matter he died on the cross for my sins unless I by faith embrace what he did there Ephesians chapter 2 says for by grace you've been saved through faith that's not a work of yourself it's a gift of God the way I like to illustrate it is, God said, I put my son on a cross for you. Here, I'll give you forgiveness. I'll make you a part of my family. I'll give you eternal life. Let me extend this gift to you. That's grace. But faith is us on earth looking up and saying, I'll take it. I'll take it. That's faith. This weekend, we'll be spending time with family, with our grandkids. We've got some Easter baskets prepared for them. It's not, I didn't do it. My wife did it. I'll tell you the truth. Okay. We've got some Easter baskets with gifts for them. And what's going to happen is tomorrow when we gather to have dinner or have lunch together, at some point in time in that day, we're going to pick up those baskets one at a time and hold them out and say, look what I have for you. And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Those grandkids are going to come running and say, I'll take it. The question is, God said, here's my son. I put him on a cross for you. Will you take it? Will you take it? I want to pray a prayer. Maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you've never really accepted what Jesus did on the cross for, you, for yourself. Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you're trying to decide. Maybe you've just never done it because you didn't know it was important. It's ultimately important. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I want to lead you in a prayer. All I'm going to ask you to do is wrap your heart around this prayer and around these words. Make them your words. Bow your heads if you would. Father, once again, we thank you this evening for Jesus. We thank you that you sent him to die for our sins. We thank you, Father, that he was willing to suffer, to bleed, and to die for us. But now we turn our hearts to you and we say thank you. We go one step further, and I believe Jesus is the Son of God who was born of a virgin, who came into this world, who died for my sins, was raised from the dead. He ascended back to the Father, and he's coming back to rule and reign forever. And I accept Jesus as my Savior, and I choose him to be the Lord of my life. So, Father, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for caring for me. I give my life back to you. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, take those emblems of communion. Take that piece of bread. And this is just my habit. 
You don't have to do this, but I do this to always remind myself. I hold it in my, to my thumb and my fingers there and I just snap it in half to remind myself his body was broken for me. If you believe that, let's partake of the bread together. And then open up that cup if you would. Jesus said, this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, the blood that seals the covenant, the blood that has the power to wash your sins away. One of the things I've learned through the years dealing with people is a lot of people have trouble coming to Jesus because they think they've done too much. They think they've been too horrible, too bad, done too many things. They've waited too long and they can't come to Jesus. Can I just tell you tonight, blood of Jesus has not lost its power still has the ability to wash our sins away with thanksgiving let's partake of the cup together now for just a few seconds let's give thanks to God thank you Father thank you Father for what you've done we honor you we glorify you We don't take the cross lightly. We don't look over it as if it's just a pretty piece of jewelry. We see it for what it is. We know we didn't deserve it, but you gave your son for us. His body was broken. His blood poured out to wash away our sins. Now we thank you this evening that we're a part of your family. We give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. The next couple of minutes, we're going to continue to reflect on the cross. Let me say one more thing. We're not going to have a formal dismissal tonight, but we will give you instructions at the end of service. But here's what I want you to know. If you committed your life to Christ tonight for the first time, or maybe you've been the prodigal on the run and you decide it's time to come home, when you leave tonight out in the lobby right between the glass doors where you exit, there's a counter set up there. It's got a sign that says the next seven days. We'd love to give you a booklet that'll help you get started walking with God, building your relationship with Him. Your decision tonight is not the end of the journey, it's the beginning. So together, let's continue for a few more minutes to reflect on God's goodness in the cross. As the team comes, let's worship together.
Thank you. 